Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. The Bible tells us in Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter, that Jesus was there in Caesarea Philippi along with his disciples. And he asked them a question. He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, some people say you're Elias or Elijah. They say some people think that you are Elijah that's come back in the flesh. He said, some people say that you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say you're the prophet Jeremiah. And some say you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus looks at them and he says, but who do you say that I am? And you remember what Peter said? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Today, I'm interested in what do you say what do you believe about Jesus Christ? I believe that what you believe about Jesus, what I believe about Jesus, will determine how we think, will determine how we behave, and determine every other aspect of our lives. In fact, I like what the great theologian and philosopher said many years ago, C.S. Lewis. He said, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Today, I want to say it like this. Uh, Jesus was either a, a deluded lunatic a deceptive liar, or the divine Lord. Today, I do not come from the perspective that he was a deluded lunatic. <laughs> I do not come from the perspective that he was a deceptive liar. Today, church, I come from the perspective that Jesus Christ was the divine Lord manifested in the flesh. Today, as I shared with last week, uh, the message, I believe, that this book reveals to us is that Jesus is better. He is better than the Old Testament prophets. He is better than John the Baptist. He is better than Moses. He is better than the high priest Aaron. He's better than the angels. Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. Jesus is the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be. So today, if you walk away with anything from this verse number two that we're going to dive in today, in fact, these first three verses, it's three words, Jesus is better. Would you say that with me? Jesus is better. Do you believe that today, church? I'm afraid that sometimes in modern Christianity, people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's better. But with their life, it doesn't manifest that truth. So today, what we're trying to instill in every person who calls this church their home, is that we believe with our mouth and with our lives that Jesus is who he said he was. Today, I want to continue the question from verse number one that we looked at last week. Why is Jesus better? I believe verse one, two, and three reveal to us 10 truths of why Jesus is better. And last week, we looked at the first two from verse number one. But this week, I want to look at verse number two and share with you three reasons why I believe Jesus is better. The first one is found in the very first part of the verse. I wrote down, Jesus is better because he is the Son of God. I wrote down, secondly, as we look at the second part of the verse, Jesus is better because he is the heir of God. And then I wrote down, thirdly, and finally, where we'll park and, and preach a little while on, and that's this, Jesus is better because he is the creator God. 
Would you come with me as we look and analyze verse number two this morning? Remember, verse number one talks about how, uh, how God spoke in times past through the mouth of the prophets. So in the writer of Hebrews' mind right now, just imagine Elijah, imagine Jeremiah, imagine um, some of the other Old Testament prophets, and those were the agents that God chose to speak in those time periods. But then, as the writer of Hebrews was saying, in just a few days prior, he said, Jesus, now the Messiah, God in the flesh, has come, and that is the agent that God is now speaking to us. And now we have his word, so we can still hear the voice of Jesus through his word today. And the Bible says, right here in verse number two, hath in these last days, which, let me pause right here. A lot of times we read and we study about the last days. And I want you to know this that ever since Jesus ascended up into glory, or heaven, we've been living in the last days. That is the days anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, it's so funny. We see all these people, especially in America, they say, oh, I believe the Bible. But when you ask them about the contents found in the Bible, they don't actually believe the contents in the Bible. So for one, it's like, hey, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Well, uh, kind of, not, not really. They say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, nah. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back again like he said he was? No. <laughs> Listen, church, if you say you believe the Bible, it's either all or none. <laughs> you have to believe every aspect of God's word or none at all. So here it says that in these last days, even to this day right now, God is speaking through his Son through his word, right here. So here's what I wrote down first of all. Why is Jesus better? Jesus is better because he is the son of God. Jesus is better because he is the son of God. Did you know the phrase son of God occurs 47 times throughout the word of God? But only one time is it found in the Old Testament. And we looked at that last week. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in that fiery furnace, and the Bible says, the Bible says there that there was a fourth one like unto the Son of God. And then the 46 other times specifically mentions found in the New Testament. So my question for you today is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that He is exactly who He said He was in the Gospels? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 4, we see two times the devil, out of the three times he tempts him, he says, if you be the Son of God, do this. If only he realized, actually he did realize who he was speaking to. But if only he would bow to submit to the authority of the Son of God. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 29, it's, it's interesting how... The Bible says that the demonic spirits declared that Jesus was the Son of God. In Matthew's Gospel in the 27th chapter, in fact, a few chapters prior to that, we read about how Jesus goes before Pilate and, and all the leaders, and, and they take Jesus and they chose Barabbas over Jesus, and they, they declare Jesus to be crucified. And there when he, is, when he is on the cross, 
And the moment that he gives up the ghost, the Bible says that he, the moment that he died, the Bible tells us that the, the ground shook, the earthquake moved the grounds and the temple was torn and the veil was torn into two and somebody shouted out and said, truly this man was the son of God. Mark's gospel, the very first verse, it talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Luke's gospel records that when the angel was revealing that Mary would give birth to a, a child and his name would be Jesus, he said that this Jesus would be the Son of God. In John chapter number 1, we read about how John the Baptist, he looks and when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Son of God, who takes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John chapter 3, we, we often quote the verses, well, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But then in verse number 18, the Bible says, He that believes on Him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John chapter 11, we read about Martha, and we read about Lazarus, and we read that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you were dead, you will never die. He looks at this lady and he says, do you believe, believest thou this, is what the King James says. And you know what she replied? She replied and said, I believe that you are the Son of God. In the book of Acts, we read about... I love the book of Acts. And when you study the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, the Bible says that Philip, we believe he was one of the first deacons ever appointed to serve in the, in the early church. And, and he was the angel of the Lord comes. He had a message from God said, hey, I want you to go to this place because I have somebody I want you to talk to. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch and, and, and sitting in a chariot. And how he got Isaiah scroll, I do not know. We don't know. But he had Isaiah scroll and he was reading Isaiah chapter 53. And there Philip goes and he shares Jesus with this Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says in Acts chapter number 8, verse 37, he, he, the Ethiopian said this, he said these words. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, may I say this today? I'm not against leading somebody through the sinner's prayer. Not against that at all. But throughout the New Testament, you never one time see an example of somebody saying, hey, one, two, three, repeat after me. All you see is a declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So hear, hear me out today. You don't have to pray a prayer, but you have to do this. You have to believe. You have to put your faith in Jesus that he is who exactly who he said he was. So today, church, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Do you believe Jesus rose from the grave victoriously and he's coming back again? If you believe that, Church, you are a child of God. Galatians chapter number 2. I, I love this verse. Many of you might have made this verse your life verse. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Four times in the, uh, the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 4, chapter 6, and chapter 10, he declares that Jesus is the Son of God. In 1 John, chapter 4, 
and verse number 15. I want to read these verses to you. It says this. It says, Whosoever shall confess, that means to acknowledge, that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. 1 John chapter 5. And verse number 10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And then, the last verse I want to share with you is verses 12 and 13 of 1 John 5. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that, you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Why is Jesus better? Why is he better than Moses? Because Moses was not the Son of God. Why is he better than the prophets like Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and many others? Because they were not the Son of God. Why is he better than Aaron, the high priest? Because this new high priest, Jesus, was the Son of God. Why is he better than the angels? Well, because the angels were not the Son of God. Why is he better than the Old Testament sacrificial system of bringing the doves and the lambs? Well, because those doves and those lambs were not the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and that's why he's better. And newsflash, I'm not the Son of God. You're not the Son of God in the way of being the only begotten Son of God. That's only Jesus. Jesus is the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be. May I share with you secondly today as we move forward in our verse. The Bible says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. But check it out now. The verse goes on. It says, Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. I wrote down secondly today. Why is Jesus better? Secondly, from verse number two, Jesus is better because he is the heir of God. He is the heir of God. Now, this word heir is not like I'm breathing air into my lungs. It's H-E-I-R. In other words, this term, it's a unique term lodged into the New Testament. And it literally means a sharer, an inheritor, or a possessor. So here's the thought today. As we come to this phrase, I want you to understand this, that everything God possesses, the Son possesses. Everything that God has in His hands, Jesus has in His hands because they are one. In fact, Psalm 2, we read Psalm 2 and we, we often use the Psalms as a place of, of great worship. But in Psalm 2 and verses 8 and 9, it reveals this truth. It says this, it says, let me just start in verse number six. It says, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Oftentimes, this verse here in Hebrews 1 is linked to Psalm 2 because it speaks about how this person is heir and is going to inherit what God the Father has. Have you ever inherited anything before? Well, if you have, you know that an inheritance is something that somebody, whether a relative or a friend or, or maybe somebody, passes on that they owned and they pass it on to you. 
So everything that God the Father owns and possesses is passed to God the Son, okay? Because God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit, they are one. Check it out now. Here's another thought as I read this phrase. Everything that exists for God exists for the Son. So we read Romans chapter 11, how it says that, that, we, that we talked about a few weeks ago, how uh, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all of all things. And then in Colossians chapter 1, we read how He is the Creator, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but uh, that everything was made for Jesus Christ. You were made for Jesus Christ. I was made for Jesus Christ. The mountains, the valleys, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, everything that we see were made for Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the point glory back to Him. You, myself, all of us were made in God's image. And so we were created for God to bring glory back to God. So everything that exists in this world exists for Jesus Christ. And then I wrote down this. The kingdom that God rules is the kingdom the Son rules. Could you imagine being the President of the United States of America? It's a job that I really would not want to have because some people are not going to like you and then some people are going to like you and then the ones who do like you, the three weeks down the road, they're really not going to like you. <laughs> but imagine being a leader of an entire nation and ruling and reigning. Well, God on His heavenly throne, resides over the heavenly kingdom. But that same rule and reign is given to the Son. And what's interesting is, is the Bible talks about that in, chap in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, but, but then in Romans chapter 8, I, I really love the book of Romans, and in Romans chapter 8, he, he, I want to read these verses to you. R write them down. It's, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Maybe just make a mental note of it or write them down. But here's what the Bible says. It says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But then check it out there. Listen carefully. And if children, then heirs. So let me pause. What God possesses, the Son possesses. And then ultimately, we are partakers of that possession. What exists in this world exists for God and therefore exists for the Son, and we get to partake in that existence as a son or a children and daughter of God. And then the kingdom that God rules is the kingdom the Son rules and is therefore the kingdom that we get to abide in for all eternity. Check it out now. It goes on to say in verse 17 of Romans 8, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Bible never says we are joint creators. It never says we are joint anything else. It says joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Now maybe you have received a nice chunk of change from your relative that's passed on. Great. That's awesome. But the greatest gift that's going to be bestowed upon you is eternal life found in Jesus Christ. That inheritance, I'm telling you, is worth far more than all the bank accounts in this facility combined and then multiplied by a billion. You see, everything that God owns, we get to partake in. And then He owns the vastness of creation and heaven. And so imagine, for all eternity, we get to be wrapped up in the glory of the Son. And the glory of the Father. And the glory of the Spirit. 
So God's kingdom, in a sense, is our kingdom. And that's why it's so important that we point people to that kingdom. Remember what Jesus said? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then when you study end times Bible prophecy, we read about how Jesus is going to come and establish his rule and reign here on this earth. And praise God, as a New Testament saint, we get to help assist Jesus Christ during those a thousand years in his kingship. So why is Jesus better? Because he's the heir of God and because he's the son of God. Jesus is the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be. But now let me share with you third and thirdly and finally from this verse. And I believe this is a probably out of, out of all the ten things mentioned here in the first three verses of Hebrews, me personally, I lean towards this being the most important one. And it's this. Jesus is better because he is the creator God. Jesus is better because he is the creator God. Look at the last part of verse number two. It says, by whom also he made the worlds. Genesis chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In Psalm 33 and Psalm 102, the Bible says that God created the world. In John chapter one, verses one through three, the Bible says that all things were made by the word of God, and that is Jesus, the son of God. In Colossians chapter number 1, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says that Jesus is the one who created the world and he is the one who holds it all together. Of him all things consist. Why does an atom, why is it, how is it held together? It's held by the power of God together. Why is the universe held together and not going in complete um, catastrophe and chaos? Because Jesus is the one holding the cosmos all together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, we read about that great Hall of Faith chapter. And the Bible says that, that we believe by faith He created the worlds. What I'm about to share with you is not my opinion. It's the oracles of God. I believe Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 coincides with all the ones I just shared with you, specifically Genesis chapter 1. And it rules out five specific ideologies and philosophies about how this world came into existence. The first one is this. This verse rules out atheism. Okay? It rules out the concept that there is no God. In fact, two times in the psalm, the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. It is foolish to believe that nothing plus nothing equals everything. It is foolish to believe that there is not a creator who created this world and placed it into existence. Now, I realize there's a lot of very intelligent people who believe in atheism and who are proponents of it. But you know, it's funny. How many times have you uh, had somebody come and knock on your door? Hey, uh, yeah, I just wanted to invite you to our group. Uh, we wanted to tell you that uh, there's really nothing to tell you and that uh, nothing uh, brought you here and that uh, nothing is, is, is going to take you to nothing. <laughs> I mean, never in your world has somebody knocked on your door to promote that message to you. And then secondly, uh, we move on. Really, actually, to be honest with you, um, most people who claim to be atheists are not really atheists. They're what's called agnostic. They just don't realize it until they've had a conversation with me. <laughs> just kidding. But seriously, atheism, the Bible says it cannot be. Then agnosticism, it's this idea that there is an intelligent designer, but that intelligent designer has nothing to do with his creation. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, all the way through, that God wants everything to do with his creation because he created us in his image. So it rules out agnosticism. 
Then this passage rules out pantheism. You ever heard of that one? It's this idea that everybody's God and everything is God. That the trees out there is God. That you're God. I'm God. We're all God. That is crazy. Because the Bible says there's one God. And that leads us to this one, polytheism. You know, when, when I was visiting um, the Mayan ruins recently, they shared with us that these Mayans, these ancient, this ancient culture, believed in polytheism. That means they believed in many, many gods. I mean, they had a god for the sky. They had the god for rain. They had a god for sun. They had a god for everything. And in fact, one of the gods, they passed around and fit in the palm of my hand. And I said to, my, I said to myself, wow, what a god if you can fit in my hand. Not a very big god. Polytheism is ruled out in the word of God because the Bible says that there is one god and one mediator between God and man. And then it rules out this one. Now, now I receive a lot of flack on this one, and that's okay. Um, and I'm, I don't mind receiving flack on this one. I believe that this verse right here, along with the others I just shared with you, rules out this idea of evolutionism. It rules out the concept that through means of natural selection that in, in, in billions of years ago or millions and millions of years ago, that there was just this gigantic explosion that, that took place and then, then uh, there developed a, a large amount of rain coming down and then, and then, and then the, it got this idea of, of some sort of body of water and then in the midst of that body of water there was this bacteria that formed and then the bacteria formed, uh, morphed into some type of um, a- amphibian and then the amphibian morphed into uh, um, a, a, some type of reptile and then the reptile morphed into uh, uh, you know, a, 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 an animal and then the animal morphed into a, a human being. Now there's some brilliant people and brilliant minds who, who promote this. But I want you to know that it's not true, biblically speaking. If God wanted to use the process of Darwinian evolution, don't you think he would have said it somewhere in his word? Now, in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God spoke everything to exist, spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke. If he wanted to use that process at some point in Scripture, he would have said it. Here the Bible says, by whom also he made, literally means he created all things. The universe, he created with an appearance of age. And that's why when these scientists look out into the telescopes and they see it's millions of years into the direction. Well, God created the world and the universe with an appearance of age. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because he created Adam. He created Adam not as a little baby boy, but as a fully grown and functioning man. And the same thing with a woman. God created this world with an appearance of age, and that's why it may appear to be that age, but it is not. Everything God created, the sun created. It just did not pop it to existence we are not gods, there are not many gods, there's one God. And he created this world in six days and rested on the seventh. So why is Jesus better? Why is he better than Moses? As great of a man Moses was, Moses did not speak the world into existence. As great of a high priest that Aaron was in the Old Testament, even though the boy had his flaws a time or two, um, but he did not speak the world into existence. Why is he better than Michael and Gabriel and the rest of the angelic beings? Because they did not speak the world into existence. 
In conclusion, I want to draw your attention to a New Testament character. In the Gospel of John, we read about how Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And he was seen of the disciples. And a man by the name of Thomas said, Unless I see his flesh, those wounds in his hands and his side, I will not believe that he rose from the grave. And the Bible says that in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, that when Jesus came to Thomas, he grabbed Thomas by the hand and placed his hand where his wounds were and then on his side. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. As we come to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, the only way to properly understand the rest of this book is by understanding that Jesus is our Lord and our God. Jesus is the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.